Moncrief on News Talk. Time to have a look outside the borders of our fair land. Our guide, as ever, is Jonathan de Burke Butler. Jonathan, good afternoon. Sure, how are you? you are. Uh, Spain, we're going to go to uh, first. And uh, this is a story about uh, surrogacy and a woman who wouldn't be in the first flush of youth, let's say. She's not. This is uh, Anna Obregon, who is a well-known actress in Spain. I think she's in quite a few soaps and the like. She is 68 years of age and she is a new mum. She appeared on the front cover of Spain's version of Hello Magazine, which is called Hola Magazine, of course. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, yes. She she was holding a baby girl outside a hospital in Miami and... um, it transpired that she is now the parent of that particular child. And it was interesting. She kind of confirmed it on social media later on. And I'll quote what she said. She said, a light full of love came into my darkness. I will never be alone again. I am alive again. And it's interesting that she used those words because the new child that's in her life came three years after the death of her only son, who was in his late 20s. He died of cancer. So you would have some sympathy for her. And many people do, you know, wanting to be a parent again. Uh, Absolutely no problem with that. The only problem is that surrogacy is not legal in Spain. Now, I reiterate that the child was born in Miami. Right, okay. But uh, surrogacy is not legal in Spain and there's a lot of people who don't like it. So this has caused a bit of controversy in the country, uh, not least amongst politicians. So one politician who's the minister for the presidency, a man by the name of Felix Balaños, he came out and said women's bodies should not be bought nor rented to satisfy anyone's desires. Another budget minister Maria Jesus Montero described it as yet another way to exploit women's bodies. Okay, so there's another side to that story, of course, groups that are coming out and Mm. have pointed out and saying, you know, these women are given autonomy. It is a way for for different people who can't have children to have children. and, And this case probably shouldn't be held up as a test case, shall we say, for surrogacy. It is one, and uh, mm. that's the problem uh, in this particular instance. And and, and what? Because as someone like here, mm. that that in, in cases of surrogacy that that happen abroad in Ireland, there's all sorts of is nightmare nightmarish scenarios where parents can bring the child back but not be their legal guardians. Um, it, it, what's the situation as far as she's concerned? Obviously, as far as the US is concerned, she's the legal mother. But yeah. when she brings this child back to Spain, what happens then? Yeah. So in, in much in the way. That that we have Irish solutions to Irish problems, the Spanish have Spanish solutions to Spanish problems, right? So in the past decade, nearly two and a half, two and a half thousand children born to surrogates abroad have been granted uh, legal parenthood, all right? Or the parents have been granted legal parenthood. So basically what the Spanish authorities have directed the authorities, the other authorities to do is to look the other way. And they've taken the side of the child. So they basically say, look, we have to think about the child in in question here. Obviously, it can't be a case where, you know, the child is left in luggage at an Mm. airport or something like that. It can't be sent back. It's too distressing. So let's look the other way and we'll just give them legal parenthood. There are parties, ironically enough, on the conservative side, you would think, who are looking to try and bring surrogacy in, although it wouldn't be a paid 
uh, type of surrogacy. They call it, they're calling it altruistic surrogacy. Yes, so, right. Uh, okay. know, which is yeah. fairly standard if in a, lots of places. A sibling can do exactly. it and that kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So that would be fairly standard. So look, it's opened up a debate around that and, and no doubt it'll uh, it'll run on for quite some time. Yeah. Now, it's not the only country in the EU that has a, a hard line on surrogacy. Italy, as I understand. Yeah, and, and Italy are bringing in a harder line, actually. Their Conservative majority there last week said that it would seek to prosecute those who go abroad to have uh, babies via surrogacy. So that's very, very strong. Uh, that is very strong. Mm. Uh, and mm, I wonder how, how, how that exactly that would work. Yes, indeed. Uh, right. OK, Bangladesh we're going to go to next. And uh, a, a journalist has ended up in jail for doing what? So this is a man by the name of Sam Suman Shams. OK, he runs, he, he writes features for the daily newspaper there called Prothum Alu. It's the biggest selling newspaper in the country. And he ran a story on the 26th of March of this year, which happens to be Bangladeshi Independence Day. Fairly simple feature, uh, if you can imagine it. He went and he interviewed ordinary Bangladeshis about life in Bangladesh and what it meant to them to be from that country. And one quote stood out where a man who was a relatively poor labourer asked, what's the use of freedom if we can't afford rice? And this got him in trouble. Okay, it got him in trouble with the government, uh, which is which has been in power for the guts of 10 or 11 years now. I think it's run by a woman called Sheikh Hassan, who we've spoken about before. And she is the leader of the governing Awami League. Okay, so um, they, a number of years ago, brought in an act called the Digital Security Act. Mm. Very vaguely written law, which basically says, if you write stuff about us that we don't like, we'll, we can throw you in jail for up to 10 years. I'll give you one example, because we covered it before. Back in 2018, the head of the Football Confederation in Bangladesh, the head of FIFA in Bangladesh, gave out about uh, the Prime Minister not supporting football and yeah. was thrown in jail for a couple of days. So you can imagine that if he did this, uh, many journalists have already always, also been subjected to very poor treatment under this particular lo- under this particular law, which came in, as I said, in two thousand and eighteen. Yeah. Now, was it? it, it this was a, a labourer who said, "What's the use of freedom if we can't afford rice?" Mm-hmm. So it's not the labourer they're going after; it's the journalist who quoted this. Yeah, it's the journalist who quoted this labour, uh, and basically, you know, inc- incitement is is what he's being uh, called up on. Now, he hasn't been charged yet specifically. Uh, but the law minister said that he misrepresented facts with bad intention, basically, and he, he wanted to create discontent. So, yeah, simple as that. And that's how it's going in Bangladesh. That's why there are 162 out of 180 countries on the World Press Freedom Index at the moment. That's below Russia and Afghanistan. So a democracy, but... Maybe only in okay, name. Okay, that's not great, yeah, really. Yeah, not really. So they're, they're they're saying people can afford rice, and 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 the man was saying that they. Oh, maybe they're saying that he was incorrect in saying that they 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 can't afford rice. Also incorrect in saying that they have freedom in that country. Well, so I, yeah, I, th- I think, I think <laughs> what, what's what they're not happy about here is that the cost of living crisis is hitting people in Bangladesh the same as it in is as it is in many parts of the world. Yeah, and they don't like uh, attention being brought to that. Uh, Right, Mexico, we're going to go to uh, next. Six people have been arrested uh, after that fire. And I think people may have been aware of this, this fire at a migrant centre. Yeah, I I was wondering, did you hear about it? All right, this happened in a border town between Mexico and the United States called Ciudad Juarez, um, and 39 people died. Um, There's been a lot of tension in this particular town because the numbers of people that are able to cross over to the cross over the border and seek asylum in the United States has uh, come down significantly for various Mm. different reasons. 
it seems that uh, there were 68 people who were being held in this detention centre. They were waiting on requests for asylum in the United States or had got them and were preparing to cross the border. But some of them had heard that they were going to be deported and they decided that they weren't going to be pretty much weren't going to be taken alive. I guess the judgment by the person who started this fire was that if I start a fire, they'll open the doors and they'll let us out. Yeah, That didn't happen. And that's the massive problem here. He set fire to his mattress. It it, it it swept through the building. And as I said, 39 people were killed, 27 very badly injured. And um, yeah, a tra- an absolutely tragic story. And what's more sinister about it is that two of the people who've been arrested were officers who were seen walking away from the doors that they should have been walking There towards. is, yes, there is video mm. where you can see that happening. And, yeah. and they're strolling past quite casually while the, the flames are... The suspicion is that there was word from the top, and this is where the investigation gets really oh. murky and could get really quite broad. The suspicion is that word came from the top to do nothing and to let them burn. And this is the, the fact that they're detaining people in this manner on, on the Mexican side of the border is actually because of the rules from the Biden administration. Well, yes and no. It's a hangover from Trump times. I mean, if, if you're touching on what is it called Title 42, yeah. I think this was a law that was brought in when the pandemic had started and it was... Uh, you know, ostensibly to sort of say, well, you know, this pandemic, we have to stop it from coming in. But, yeah. the, but the benefit of it, if you believe that that's a benefit to stop asylum seekers coming in, was that it stopped asylum seekers coming, coming in. in. But they had so to apply the, from that side of the border exactly, anyway. They couldn't that, just kind of was, turn up. That, yeah. Exactly. That was that, that was it. Um, so, yes, it's having it's having this kind of an effect on these border towns. Yeah, indeed. And these I mean, should probably, these these people who died weren't weren't Mexicans. They were, they no, were from Central uh, America. Venezuela, Colombia, yeah. uh, various different places. Yeah. yeah. Uh, right, Lesotho, uh, we're going to go to uh, next, which is um, uh, debating, uh, about trying to get land back from South Africa, which is kind of understandable seeing Lesotho doesn't have that much land. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. yeah, it's a great story, this one. This is, uh, Lesotho has a population of about 2 million people. It's about the size of Munster, okay? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think a uh, little bit bigger than it. But anyway, it's a small place. And it's surrounded by South Africa, as you know. Mm. And it used to be a different place called Basotho Land, right? Before independence, it was called Basotho Land. And it had quite a long history. It used to be much bigger. When the Dutch settlers came along and they took a good bit of it away, it became apparent to the king of Basotho land in 1868 that he needed some help. He brought the British in in 1868 and they told the Dutch, keep away from this now defined area that we're going to mm-hmm. hang on to. They then uh, signed a treaty the next year, agreed a border. They annexed the place uh, before giving them independence in 1966. All right, so little potted history yeah, there, yeah. all right? So the borders have stayed the same, very small, uh, very small land, but they feel, or at least one person in their parliament feels, that it's about time that they got it back, right? And it's quite a bit of land that he's looking for, right? So he wants to take back all of the Free State province, which is 130,000 square kilometres, four times the size of the current okay. nation of Lesotho, right? Yeah. He wants to take back small, smaller parts of four other provinces. And he reckons that under um, a 1962 U- UN resolution, he and his people are entitled to do that. Um, so it's being debated. The only problem for him is he is one member and the only member 
of the party that is putting this motion forward in a 120-seat parliament in Lesotho. So okay, so it's, it's a minority. Like, it's a bit of a minority, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, I mean, apart from the whole, South Africa won't, do, won't give yeah, you it's, jack. It's unlikely that South Africa it. will do it. And also, they're protected uh, probably under an international law, under that 1964 Cairo Declaration, which was a very clever piece of politics which said that the borders that uh, are here when we get our independence, all African states will keep them as it is mm. so we won't be squabbling over, over land. Given that Lesotho is, is presumably completely dependent on South Africa for all sorts of things, why would he even propose this idea? Yeah, I was, I was, I was wondering and I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, there was people who walked past Porrick Pierce in 1916 when he declared a republic and thought he was absolutely crazy. And then 30 years later, hey, presto, there's a republic. So, you know, okay. tiny acorns and all that he kind could of be, thing. He could, be, he could be a visionary. He could uh, be. Just not recognised yet. Uh, uh, finally, I suppose a, a bit of good uh, good news. Uh, uh, the the, uh, the real-life person from Hotel Rwanda <laughs> has been has been released. Yeah, uh, Paul Rusesa Bagina has been released from a Rwandan prison. You remember um, back in August August of 2020, he was, uh, I think he got on a plane in Dubai. He was expecting to go to Burundi, but he ended up in Kigali, which was the one place he didn't want to be. Mm. Uh, And the reason for that is because he is an enemy of Paul Kagame. He's been a critic of Paul Kagame ever since he left Rwanda a good few years ago. And um, he had posted, you know, a couple of months or or a year or two previously, he had posted a video in which he said, it's time to use all means to change the government in Rwanda because all political means have tried and failed. Kagame, who was relatively tolerant of him up to that point, Mm. had had enough. And so he took the opportunity uh, to get him back to Rwanda. Uh, charged him with being a member of a terrorist organisation and sentenced him to 25 years in prison. The United States, where uh, uh, Rosessa Begina is a resident, a permanent resident, didn't like that. So they kept plugging away at Kagame and uh, authorities in Rwanda and they have yielded. Right, OK. So, is, so But they, they haven't pardoned him, though. No, they haven't. No, they, they commuted his sentence, but the conviction still stands. So it's basically saying, look, we're commuting that, but don't come back here ever again and don't think about it. So it's an interesting one. Yeah. All right. So what should we look out for over the next week or so? Uh, there's not much going on, but there the are a few people traveling around the place. One of those is Sergei Lavrov, who's, of course, the Russian foreign minister. He's going to Turkey. Uh, Macron, I think I mentioned it last week, actually, but Macron, it's this week. He's going to the Netherlands if he manages to get out of France. And then on Saturday, the 12th anniversary of the signing of the bilateral treaty between Russia and the United States on the reduction <laughs> and limitation of strategic offense of arms will be happening. Uh, and I wonder, will there be fireworks display the, the, to celebrate it? Given that in all, in all real, realistic terms, that agreement doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, I imagine not. Uh, Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks, uh, as ever, Jonathan DeBurka Butler there. Moncrief, weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.